Brazilian president visited Moscow on Wednesday amid towering tensions over Russian's troop built upon Ukraine's border. Seated close to Ukraine's president Vladimir Putin, Brazil leader this time made no public mention of Ukraine but received a warm embrace from the Russian leader. We know it's so critical at this moment that not to engage with the country of Russia given many conditions and effects. However, the Br Brazilian president decided to take the opposite way. But meanwhile, in the year of 2022, that marks another significant milestone between the relationship of China and the United States. For all everything we are talking about today, it's so difficult to understand how should we unwrap the details. So that's why it's my great honor and privilege to invite Dr. Marcus De Freitas come back to the show. Dr. Marcus is a senior fellow at Policy Center for the New South, focusing on international law, international relations, and Brazil, and he's currently a visiting professor of international law and international relations at China Foreign Affairs University in Beijing, China. Dr. Marcus, welcome back to The Missing Piece. So good to talk to you and to, to see that you're shining and everything's all right with you. Thank you, Dr. Marcus. Now, let's get to the question. Again, as we mentioned before, I'm sure you're mindful. The tension between Russia and Ukraine right now is still, if I can rephrase that, unpredictable. And the whole world is watching what is going to happen between those two countries, despite the fact that one side is more likely to invade another. But meanwhile, when everyone is trying to distance themselves away from this Russian leader, as I mentioned in the intro, Dr. Marcus, Brazilian president made the trip meet up with Vladimir Putin recently and discuss a lot more critical issues. From your perspective, Dr. Marcus, why do you think that Brazilian president decide to do that? And how do you think that conversation could impact this bilateral relation between the two countries today? I believe, Will, that the visit wasn't really an endorsement on what is taking place in Ukraine. I think that even though the president used the word solidarity, center solidarity to the Russian people, I think was just a misuse of the word because Brazil, by based on its constitution, uh, is a firm believer in international law, and the international law clearly affirms that after 1945, we should not have uh, wars uh, or occupations or wars to expand the territory. Mm. And that is ingrained in the Brazilian constitution, too. Uh, so though there are principles that Brazil follows in its international relations. Again, uh, so it wasn't an endorsement of the situation in Ukraine, and we know there are historical reasons uh, for the allegations that Putin has uh, set for Ukraine. We know that uh, there was a kind of a gentleman's agreement that NATO, which is a relic from mm. the Cold War, uh, would not expand into Eastern Europe, but they did. And, you know, uh, the Russians kind of make sense on the geopolitical aspect not to have an enemy uh, with weapons directed to you. So uh, so I think that was the, the, the background. And the thing that happened 
is that Brazil is a member, uh, you know, it's part of BRICS mm. uh, with Russia. We have a bank together. We have a relationship together. Uh, Brazil is a large buyer of fertilizers from Russia. We have interest in selling Brazilian meat to Russia. Uh, so I think that uh, the relationship is a relationship between countries and mm. between states. Uh, governments come and go, but uh, you know it was important for us to recognize that the relationship is mature, mm. it can get stronger, and we should do whatever is necessary to get it stronger. It happened that the invitation came from the Russian government way mm. before this whole thing started. Mm. And it would not make sense for the Brazilian president to postpone the trip or even, you know, say, okay, you know, the United States wanted us to postpone it. You know, that's an act of national sovereignty. It's a decision of the head of state and head mm. of government. It doesn't make sense for you to say, okay, we're going to do this. We're not going to visit because somebody told us not to. So I think, you know, overall it made sense. I think that uh, the timing may not have been the best, but I, I, I don't think that the visit should have been postponed. Mm. Dr. Marcus, again, as we mentioned before, not too long ago, I also talked to another international expert specifically regarding the characteristics of Vladimir Putin. Given this condition, this character is so unique and this person is so unpredictable, especially towards the West. You know, for decades, not only that we mentioned uh, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, and until right now, uh, uh, Joe Biden, every single U.S. president been treating this character differently and given the fact that everyone is trying to get a handle on this person, but feel like the more they try it, the, the further they're being away from the fact or they're being away from the truth. But coming back to the media side, Dr. Marcus, you are currently living in Brazil and you, you are witnessing how this country is being shaped by the current president. So I want to know that from your perspective, why do you think that media today, it's showing the Brazilian president in this biased way? So in other words, what, why do you think there are so many uh, misunderstandings about the Brazilian president when, uh, whenever or however he does any international uh, management? You know, uh, of course, he doesn't help himself, right? Uh he does say some things that are not as the the wisest things to say mm. and to declare sometimes. And I think that is one of the mistakes that he has. But Brazil has had throughout time a major communication problem when it comes to the building of our external image. Mm. And uh, a few weeks, you know, some time ago, I was on television and I said that Brazil, the Brazilian government should also file a lawsuit against CNN, mm. BBC and some of the, these foreign media uh, companies because they always portray Brazil on a negative, in a negative way. That's right. I always give this example. Uh, you know, if a Brazilian journalist goes to the United States and they are going to cover some issue, they're going to go to Harvard, Columbia, Yale. Mm. They're going to go to a top university, talk to somebody who has, uh, you know, uh, a great understanding of the issue and all that. And they're always going to show nice places in the United States or in the UK or in Europe. Mm. Now, it's not what happens on the reverse side. You know, whenever there is something happening in Brazil, 
I always say that the BBC and CNN will call, will talk to the most clueless person there is. <laughs> uh, you get the impression that they have a slum in the background. So I said that builds a negative image of the country. We do have a problem with violence. Brazil has a violence issue that needs to be taken care of, but it's not an impossible issue to deal with. Mm. And there are many things that are nice in the country to show. So I think there is this frenzy and this uh, tendency sometimes just to overemphasize the negative. And, you know, the president doesn't help himself by some of the things that he said uh, in the past. He was politically aligned with Donald Trump, who does, who never had a good media coverage and all that. And, uh, and of course, you know, the media uh, hasn't been very, very kind to him because the media had other political preferences based on some ideology that still permeates some of the members of the media. So I think that's the challenge that they have. And I think that's a problem that Brazil faces. But we have had a communications problem with the whole world mm. for uh, with the whole world for some time. And I need to, I think we need to improve it, even though it's hard. It may be hard to convince the major uh, the major media venues mm. that uh, you know Brazil is a successful story, is an interesting country to invest. Brazil has its challenges, but there are more things that are positive for the country than it, what is actually perceived, right? Mm. And what is actually portrayed. And this president, he may have his own problems. We have an electoral cycle who may have a new president or he may be reelected, but we understand that the situations, uh, I, and I think that uh, it's not only the situation, but you know, you should look into the country with different eyes and mm. not necessarily what you just see on the television. Mm. Dr. Marcus, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned at the beginning that both Brazil and Russia are in this BRICS. You know, uh, again, it represents many countries. But today, that again, coming back from this Western Hemisphere, that when they see the growth of China and then when they see uh, this military exercise or the leadership role in Russia, and also they see uh, this uh, a partnership between China and Brazil. So in a nutshell, that the West continue to see or continue to perceive those countries can be a major threat, either politically or economically, to the countries. Now, do you think today that when we look at the BRICS, when we look at those countries under globalization, do you think that really matters how the West is interpreting uh, how those countries are growing? So in other words, should we actually care how Americans or other countries see uh, China, Brazil, and Russia? How important is that? I believe that, you know, I always say that you have countries that are in ascension and countries that are in decline. Mm. Usually the ones that are in decline will tend to try to hold the status quo. They want to, uh, things to remain mm. as they are, right? Uh, so, uh, and they want to preserve the order based on the things that they had in the past, their contributions in the past and all that. But we know that the world is dynamic. Mm. What you have today is not necessarily, you know, things are one way today. They're not necessarily going to be the same way tomorrow. That's so right. things change. And, uh, and I think that the greatest challenge that some of the Western countries have is to understand that perhaps 
their timing has temporarily gone. Mm. Uh, and they may not as be as more as influential or as powerful as they were in the past, which is a good thing, you know, uh, because it doesn't make it doesn't make sense for always the same people to hold powers and to hold the decision making mm. powers and all that. So I think that the ascension of, you know, Russia, China, India, you know, South Africa, which is part of the BRICS, I right. think it's a good thing. It's a welcome, uh, you know, it's a, it's a welcome breath of fresh air in this whole thing, because for the last 70 years, we had basically the same people making the same decisions affecting everyone else. And the problem, I think, and Will, I always like to emphasize this, is that if there was a little bit more opening on the opportunities, if the doors were a little less closed, uh, perhaps these countries would be inserted into the system as they are mm. and would not be willing to change because it would make no sense for them to change. Mm. But the problem is that the door has remained closed uh, and they haven't been willing to open those doors. And, and, and we always say, you know, power is not given. Power is always conquered mm. because people want to keep the doors closed. Mm. And I think it's a bad thing that we have to see these things happening. And, uh, because, you know, it creates a certain level of instability and all that, and this clash, which is not positive for the world at all. Mm. But I think that the ascension of, you know, Russia, China, India, Brazil, uh, and South Africa, is a good thing for the world, right? You know, uh, because they bring a different perspective too, you know. Mm. Um, those are developing countries, countries that are that want to have a say. And, you know, if you think about and you consider the fact that the majority of the people live in developing countries, perhaps they should have a greater voice in the international arena. Mm. Again, you know, uh, a voice that is never going to be heard if though the doors remain closed to mm. them. So I think it's a good thing. And of course, you know, if you're a declining power and you're looking into this situation, you're always going to say, oh, those guys are never going to be able to organize themselves. They're never going to be able to reach an agreement or they compete among themselves. Now, there are many people that go against BRICS because of that. They say, oh, you know, the economies are so different. But I always like to emphasize, you know, mm. what is the relationship that you have between the American economy and the Italian Right, you know, mm. Italy is a smaller country, still part of the G7, right. and those countries that compete among themselves, they have been able to find a common threat, uh, and I think that's the the challenge that BRICS have. But I think you know the contribution that those countries can have is enormous, mm. and uh, in particular for for the Americas, it's a well, you know, it's it's a welcome idea to have somebody right. else that you can rely on, right? Mm. You know. You're not only subject to the same people who always come with the same ideas and the same requirements. You just want to, somebody to, to you know, perhaps look into things in a different way. Right, Dr. Marcus. You know, this month has been fairly busy for the country of China, and I'm sure that you noticed not only that just two days ago that China successfully wrapped up the Winter Olympics. And I think, uh, um, to be fair, that the athletes across the continent thoroughly enjoyed this type of unification or this type of uh, uh, unity through sports. And also, meanwhile, you know, uh, as we discussed before the show, that this year actually uh, played another significant role 
between China and U.S., which is marked the 50th anniversary for Richard Nixon. The former U.S. president actually made the first trip to China on the, uh, on, in the year of 1972. But meanwhile, given the condition, Dr. Marcus, I'm sure that you are so knowledgeable about this, but the relationship between China and U.S. today, oh my goodness, if I can put in a in a, a modest way, it's there's no, con, no comparison with the 50 years ago when Richard Nixon met up with the current leader. So, so maybe this question sounds so easy or sounds so silly, but I still want to ask is, do you think it's necessary that we still celebrate the 50th anniversary between uh, for China and the U.S. just for the Nix uh, significance of the Richard Nixon's uh, groundbreaking trip to China? Do you think it's even necessary at this moment that we should discuss this? You know, anniversaries and celebrations are always good because it makes you makes you look into the past and look into the things that you had before and wonder why you do not have them now. You know, mm. uh, I always like to say that uh, uh, what is the secret of happiness? You know, you look into your happy moments, the happy moments you had in your life, and you try to reproduce them sometimes mm. in the future, right? And you try to project some of the goals that you had in the past into the future. So I think anniversaries and celebrations are good for you to look back and see, you know, what you did right and what you did wrong. So those dates are important in that sense. Right, you do a deep analysis of where you know things were, why things were going well, and where things got you know distorted and things right. changed. So that's my impression. Now, if you look overall, I think that the balance in these fifty years between the relationship of the United States and China has really been a positive one, despite all the current problems you know, that we have seen with the mm. U.S. declining and China ascending, and the fact that you know, the Americans seem not to accept this, uh, this trend, uh, which is a normal, repetitious thing you know, uh, in the history of humankind. And considering that China has always been the largest economy in the world, mm. except for the last 200 or 300 years, uh, you know, it's a normal trend that China having the largest population now with, uh, you know, GDP, uh, with capacity to consume and all that, it makes perfect sense for China to return to its mm. position. Uh, so it's something that you should not fight it, but you should accept it mm. and try to work around it. But overall, you saw that, you know, this relationship has allowed China to become a major exporter of products. You know, now China has conquered, no matter where you go in the world, you have Chinese products. Uh, you know, I think that one of the great contributions of Americans to China was the issue of quality control and mm. how to produce better stuff and That's all right. that. Uh, but one thing that uh, wasn't expected, I think that's the sweat equity of the Chinese people that made it, uh, is that the Chinese over, you know, the Chinese overwork and the Chinese, once they decide to get to somewhere, and once, once they set up the goal, they just work towards it. Mm. And nobody was expecting that China would really change so much over the last 50 years. But I think, you know, you cannot take away the contribution of the United States, mm. of, you know, to this process of building up uh, or helping or, you know, working together with the Chinese to build up a country that is so successful. Of course, China 
as a good student has become the teacher, right? And, uh, <laughs> that's right. And, uh, and I think that uh, and that's one of the positive things when you look into, into China is that first, you know, China was walking behind and then was walking by the side and in some areas it's walking in front of the world. And I think, you know, that's the way things are. So when we look into this history of 50 years of relationship, we see the ups and downs, but I think that overall, at the end of the day, I think it has been a positive thing for mm. China, and it has also been a positive thing for the United States. Mm. Dr. Marcus, you know, recently, that based on report, I'm sure that you uh, might also notice that the country of Argentina just joined the One Belt, One Road initiative. And so a lot of experts within this international community continue to see this growth and the fast development between the uh, uh, China and the Latin American countries. So from your perspective, how significant is it for the countries such as Argentina and other Latin American countries cooperate with China under this Belt and Road Initiative? And do you think that China today is taking this right strategy towards Latin American countries. When we see the relationship between the Latin American countries and the West, it's on, it's on the brink. So in other words, it's, not, uh, it's no longer effective. What is your take on that? I believe that's a good thing, you know. Um, for the longest time, we had the application of the moral doctrine in the Americas, which is America for the Americans. And that was 19, 1848, I think that's when President Monroe declared that. Now, I think that opening up the continent to another uh, great power with whom we do not compete, you know, Latin America can be, can supply many of the things that the Chinese need. And, uh, and it's an important thing for us to not to rely exclusively on the United on the United States or, mm. on the, or on the Europeans, because I always say this, and I mentioned even that in relation to Brazil, the gains that Brazil or Latin America can get from the United States and uh, the European Union will tend to be marginal, right? Mm. There will not be major investments coming to the region from those two places in the world. But uh, we can have substantial and exponential gains uh, when we interact with China just because of the size of the Chinese market. And the fact that we're not competitors and we actually can learn from mm. each other. And I think, you know, for the process of industrialization, for, uh, you know, infrastructure and all those things that Latin America desperately needs, I think that China can really help a lot in the, you know, help mm. a lot in the region. I always say, you know, my favorite quote, quote from China is build a road and get rich, mm. right? Uh, and that's one of the major challenges the Latin American has is the lack of infrastructure that does not allow mm. the region to be more productive and all that. So I think it's a good thing. Now, in the case of Argentina, Argentina is going through a major economic challenge now. Uh, a result of some of the measures that they uh, took in the past. So they're now paying for their mistakes in the past. Mm. But the problem is that they're trying to get access to funds 
from the IMF, from the Americans, they are, they are having a hard time. Right. So I'm sure that when President Fernandez went to President Xi Jinping and was able to get Argentina, first of all, to join Belt and Road, right. and second, the promise of 27, 23 or $27 billion dollars in investments in infrastructure and all that, which Argentina desperately needs, like Brazil, I think it was a good thing. So uh, and and uh, it was and it's good. I always say this, you know, it's good to have uh, more centers where you can actually go and play, and you know, uh, uh, instead of only having one source of funding or mm. one source of anything, right? Mm. So I think it's important to have this diversity of players, of global players that can help you in certain circumstances. So. Uh, so I see with good, you know, good eyes the whole thing of you know China coming into the continent, and you can see that you know China has become the number one trading partner for mm. the majority of the region, based on the thing that I mentioned before. You know, mm. the gains with the U.S. and the European Union are going to be very marginal, while with the gains, the gains with uh, the Chinese and China can be exponential, of course. This will create some disruption. The United States may say, oh, why are the Chinese playing our own in our own backyard and all that? Well, that's part of that's part of life. Mm. Uh, if you want to, if you really want to the Chinese out, you should bring in uh, stuff and you should, you know, uh, try to replace uh, what China is doing in an economic way, which is not going to happen. Right. Uh, so I think, you know, countries uh, there is a quote by a former British prime minister who served twice in government. Uh, and Lord Thompson used to say that in international relations, you have no, uh, yeah, I, what is that? He says is we have no perennial friends, no perennial enemies. The only thing that is perennial is the interests, right? The wow. interests are perennial. Mm. So I think that's one of the good things when we look into this, whole thing where our interests lay as countries and if china or is the country that is able to provide and to meet these interests you know that's right china Mm, that's right dr marcus i know you're fairly busy but i do have two quick questions before letting you go now Dr. Marcus, looking ahead in the year of 2022, and there are so many countries in Asia are coming up with elections. For example, South Korea is standing at the crossroads and they're also facing another major election. And the country of India and also they're going to have major election nationwide as well. So I want to know that right now, when we look at those countries, South Korea, India and possible uh, another countries in Asia and more, how significant do you think today that China can be one of the major factors played domestically for them? So in other words, when the voters domestically consider about their next presidential candidates or when they're discussing these international policies, how much do you think that China matters to those countries in terms of election? Oh, it's essential, right? Even though foreign policy is not something that the electors think about, mm. right? The voter, when they go to vote, they're thinking more about domestic issues. And we always say, you know, foreign policy is not the number one concern of right. people uh, when they're voting. But uh, if you think about the world and the way things are right now, uh, where things are so intertwined, right? You know, uh, 
we have high inflation in the world because the global supply chain has been affected mm. by it, you know, by the pandemic and all that. So I think that when all countries go, uh, when people go into vote, they need to think, when they think about their pockets, they need to realize also that the world needs to grow back. Right? Mm. We, need to grow, uh, we need to grow, we need to grow economically. And the only country that can really pull the situation now that can really make things get back to normal is really uh, China and the vitality of the Chinese consumer market. Mm. So I think when you look into this situation, uh, China is a big player. It affects the region. You know, it's it's the backyard of China. Right. Uh, for, you know, uh, for geo for geopolitical. Uh, reasons and all that, and the location, geographical location too. Uh, so when you look into that, I think that China is always a major player mm. in the region, but not only in Asia, huh? You know, uh, we have elections in Brazil too. That's right. And the Chinese Chinese factor is also extremely important. Okay. Now, Dr. Marcus, the last question I want to end. It's again going back to the relationship between Brazil and China. You know, as we mentioned before, Brazil is also gearing up for another major election. And now this time, for decades, we know that China has always been uh, consistent in terms of uh, uh, foreign policy. So in other words, China is not interested in interfering or meddling any international affairs. Because we know that it's so important that we th uh, believe that other countries should respect the same thing in terms of Chinese domestic affairs. Now, looking ahead, how do you think that for this year, that China and Brazil can cooperate better in terms of um, economic uh, partnership and also political partnership and also dealing with some of the major international crises? I believe there are three things to consider, and I'll make it very quick. Sure. I think that, number one, uh, Brazil needs to find ways mm. to work with China uh, and add value to the products that it sells to China, right? Uh, because Brazil is selling commodities mostly to China. And I think it would be interesting if Brazil together with Chinese companies or Chinese companies coming into Brazil, they add value mm. to the products in Brazil. So, you know, there is a positive aspect to improve the quality of the exports, the quality of your workforce. There are many benefits in that way. So I think that's issue number one. Issue number two that is also relevant is that we have to realize that China is not only the new kid on the block, but China is the most relevant player, uh, you know, in the block right now. Uh, and uh, we need to find ways in which we can work together and line up our policies to meet with some of the Chinese needs so that the Chinese can correspond. And also, you know, at the global uh, governance aspect, we also are able to redesign some mm. of the things that are not favorable to us. Mm. So I think that is an important aspect for us to find out the areas where we can issue, where we can address the issue of global governance in a way that is favorable to China, to to Brazil, and also to the other minor players who do not have access to, uh, you know, to these big countries and all that. And the third aspect, I think, uh, is that Brazil needs to start, and I keep saying that to Brazilians, 
we should treat China more as a partner mm. than as a client, right? Because there are many people that look into China just as a country that is going to come and buy Brazilian products and all that. It's not the relationship that we should have. Mm. You know, China is not a client of Brazil, but China should become a partner with Brazil and we should work together to find ways in which we can exchange more trade and more we can exchange more goods we can sell more stuff and we can also have more interaction between our peoples because that's i think the essential part of building good relationship is when the chinese get to know brazil a little better and when the brazilians get to know the chinese and the and china a little better i think we can go very far away mm. in building a solid relationship that is going to you know uh, stay for ages.